Thank you, Larry. Uh, all right. Good morning. All right. Um, I want to thank you all for um, your love and support, and thank you for listening to my sermon in advance. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Joshua 17. Um, I do want to thank uh, Mark Mann for his uh, amazing prayer as well. Thank you for lifting up um, the Lord's name and um, giving us a great example of how to do so. Um, this is my second time in Joshua. Um, Joshua, uh, I've been through the book uh, at least as far as school-wise, I've been through the book um, twice um, for di- two different classes for two different reasons. Um, and so Joshua is my favorite um and I, don't, I mean, he's besides Jesus, of course, he's my favorite biblical character. He's not Jesus, um, but his name uh, is the same name and meaning as Jesus. His name in the Hebrew is Yeshua, which is the exact same name that Jesus uh, has. Um, but in the uh, Greek, we translate that as Jesus. It means Yahweh is salvation. Um, if you was to read Joshua, um, you, you would probably be intrigued and you would enjoy it for maybe half of the book, and then the other half you get to the section that I'm in now where they're just giving out land, right? People are coming. Some people are coming uh, and saying, hey, where's our land? And then some people aren't coming, and Joshua's like, why aren't y'all asking for your land? Um, And so uh, I'm going to attempt, first of all, not to blow you guys away with the volume, I'm going to attempt to uh, take a passage that seems to be dull and boring and uh, either I'll make it more dull or boring or uh, I will show you guys uh, how we can look at a text like this and dig deeper. Uh, This is probably my last time preaching from Joshua unless the Holy Spirit says otherwise because after a while you get the same theme over and over. It really has four major themes. Um, The main two is uh, land and obedience. That's the main thing. Be obedient, get the land that God has promised you. Uh, and so we'll have to find a way to constantly look at this differently. The first time I preached, it was Joshua 7, and I looked at how one man's sin can affect the whole tribe. It can affect everyone. Uh, we have similar uh, rules in sports today. If one person commits a team foul, the whole team gets penalized. If one person does offsides, the whole team has to go back uh, uh, five yards. And so... Uh, so we're going to look at Joshua 17, 14 through 18. Uh, giving honor to God, who is ahead of all of our lives, whether you guys want to admit that or not, he is sovereign, and uh, he is the king of all things. Uh, it's always a privilege to be here. Um, it's always a privilege to preach before you guys. Uh, it may not be a privilege um, to study and get ready for the sermon, but it's definitely a privilege to uh, stand before you guys. Alex is in L.A., uh, he left his family, though. I had to talk to him about that. Uh, I can't believe why Keita let him go without him. But, uh, uh, hopefully, if uh, the Los Angeles Lakers don't sign him, he'll come back. And uh, uh, but it'd be kind of cool to have a pastor that plays the Los Angeles Lakers, I guess. So it doesn't matter whether they sign him or not. Then, um, um, but we we love Alex and we love his family, and uh, we're so grateful that uh, they help uh, shepherd us and give us direction. Um, we also thank the session um, and their family, their wives, and uh, 
and children uh, for loaning the great deacons and elders we have here at this church. Um, you guys are so uh, energetic and filled with wisdom. It's amazing. Um, so we are grateful for you guys. Uh, this is my first time preaching uh, as a married man. So, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, cheer after the sermon. You'll see whether or not you, you think that's a good thing. Uh, no, but it's been an awesome, awesome uh, experience. Two months, right? Two months? Um, I keep up with it better than her, so, you know, I'm, you know, I'm so awesome. No, uh, it's, it's, it has been, um, a lot of you guys may know this, but the, the week when I got back from um, Jamaica, uh, I had to have surgery on my shoulder. Uh, it's, it was an injury that's been about eight or nine years old, and the doctor just kept telling me to work out more, take this shot, drink, you know, swallow this pill. And, uh, <clears throat> and so they thought that it was just going to, you know, remove some bone spurs and just extra bone in a way, and that's going to make it more comfortable. Uh, but once they went inside, they saw I had a torn labrum. And so it went from two weeks of recovery and being back to the macho man that I am, uh, to a very humbling experience in my first couple months of marriage so far, and I still have a few more months to go. Um, and, you know, you don't expect, you know, having to see your wife take more grocery bags out the car than you, you know. I, I mean, I try to load this left arm up, and I just try to take as many in there as I can. Uh, but God is, has been teaching uh, great humility during this time, and uh, he's been showing that my wife is very capable of making this marriage happen without my strength. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been uh, enjoyable. It's been a frustrating thing. You know, we, uh, we're able to every now and then say, hey, it seems like you're having a frustrating day. And, and uh, it can be frustrating when you can't lift something that you used to lift when you was 10 years old. But uh, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, Larry mentioned this, um, but I want to, uh, uh, us to dwell on it just a little bit more. Um, there was a shooting in Oregon, and the guy, the reason that the guy did uh, kill uh, the, those that he were able, he was able to kill was because uh, he just asked those that were Christians to stand up, and and they, th- th- there was a few brave people that, um, and I don't know how many people would have done this, but there was some brave people that stood up, and he said that he's going to uh, allow them to see their Lord Jesus or God in a in a second, and he uh, he did shoot them. Um, I want I want you guys to know that this, when things like this happen. It's not the time uh, necessarily to push a, an agenda or uh, to, to say, I told you so. Um, I, I was talking to a professor when the shooting happened in South Carolina, um, and he just, he asked, what, happens, what happened to the time when we, allow, uh, when we allow ourselves and people to grieve? Like, what happened to that? What happened to us just saying, like, this is a sad event and let us grieve? Yes, you can, we, there are things we must do. Um, and, and, you know, we don't know the answer to those apparently because uh, yet have I heard of a heart change. Um, but, but yes, yes, there are things that we can do to possibly prevent things. But, but at, the same time, at the same time, people have died. People just died. Like when someone has a car wreck and died, no one say, should we argue over the speed limit here right now? No, this is something that's real that just happened. And, um. I want us to just for a moment for my sermon, and I'm about to get to it, if we could just take a few moments of, of silence and uh, prayer, a silent prayer for the families of those affected, for the students that saw this happen, um, 
for the, the, the hero that uh, that took five or six shots to prevent him from coming into his classroom, and he's recovering well. Let's pray for all those that was affected, silently meditate on it, and then we'll uh, look into God's word for the day. Even now, Lord, we ask that you will be with us. Father, we never, many people never thought that Christians would be martyred or killed in America for their belief. And Father, I ask that if the time comes that we must stand up for what we believe in, that we will have the courage and faith that you provided for those in the Bible, for those great martyrs in Christian history, for those that are in other countries that are being killed every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 17, uh, verses 14 through 18. I have to borrow the church Bible, uh, so I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, I think we'll all get to heaven still if we... Just keep on holding on to God's unchanging hand. Verse 14, the people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, Go up into the forest and clear land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Raphaites. The people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have chariots fitted with iron. Both those in Belshan and in its settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You will not only have one allotment, but the forest hill country as well. Clear it, and its father's limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Let's look at a thought provoker of God gave it, now take it. Now, there's a lot of uh, sermon titles that's in this, and I'll probably throw them out and uh, ask you guys to say it to each other as we go along. Uh, so make sure you sit next to somebody that you'd like to talk to. Um, it'll get awkward if you say something to them and they don't say something to you. Um, what we're going to look at, though, in, at the very root of this is God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Um, now, something that I want us to really realize, understand here, is that God's sovereignty of action is paired with uh, a sense of human responsibility 
of obedience. All right. God's sovereignty of action is paired with human responsibility of obedience. All right, so let's put this in context real quick. Many of you guys know the story. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abram, and eventually the name became Abraham. In Genesis 15, God makes some promises and makes a covenant with Abraham. And in this covenant, he promised him that he will have children, he will have seeds, that would be a multitude that you can compare to the stars in the sky and to the sand on the sea. But he probably one of the biggest things that people that, that the Israelites focus on because they are the descendants of Abraham, so they see this come true. They're waiting on where's the land? Where is this land? In Genesis 15, 12 through 15, God's talking to Abraham. He says, There's gonna be some time where your people will live in a land that's not theirs, and they will be slaves there for about four hundred years. And he said the reason this is going to happen is because the sins of the Amorites uh, or the Canaanites, the Hittites, all these people, the, their sins have not come to full completion. What he's saying, really saying is, I'm not through being patient with them yet. I'm going to give them about 400 years. We, we, we do the dates, and it's 40, 20 years they have to repent. And so when we're looking at uh, the promise of the land, that's what they're looking for. And so Abraham is in this land. Joseph, remember, has to leave the land. Well, he doesn't really have to. He's forced to leave the land because his brothers sell him to slavery to where? Egypt. And eventually, Joseph has these dreams allow him to prepare for famine. And because of this, his brothers, not knowing that he's Joseph, has to come to him and ask for some food and water. And so when they get to Egypt, they find out, whoa, our brother is the number two person in the land. And so they all live there. Well, Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Israel. Jacob, name changed to Israel. So he is the youngest of the 12. And that's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? You guys follow along with me pretty good. So, so they're in Egypt right now. And we get to the end where it says there came a king that rose up in Israel, I mean in Egypt, that did not know of the things that Joseph did. So what happened? Children of Israel became slaves. So they're in slavery, and eventually uh, they are freed by some guy named Moses. Maybe you've heard of him. And Moses is an amazing guy, and he has been waiting. He, he knows the promises, the promise of, of there's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and the, the really cool thing is that this land belongs to God, and he's laying sinners, the Amorites, the Hittites, the, all the ites, all of them. They're staying on there. He's letting them stay on there. And it's his land. And so when he's tired of them being on his land, he's going to give it to those that he wants to give it to. Not because they're good. Not because they're much better than the, the uh, Hittites and Amorites and the Canaanites. Not because they're much better. But because he promised their forefathers, Abraham, Jacob, I, uh, Isaac. He promised them that your children will have this land. All right, so Moses is, they're going through the wilderness for 40 years, which should have been only about a 40-day journey. But because of their unbelief, remember, I just told you, God said it's your land, but what has to follow? Obedience. God sends, uh, Moses sends 12 spies to check out this land that God told them is theirs, that God said, go take it, it's yours, go get it. 
And he sends 12 spies to survey the land to look at it, see who's living there. Which direction we come in? And 12 of them come back, and Caleb comes to Moses and says, yep, we can do it. Joshua comes to Moses. We got it. Easy. And the other 10 says, no way. We have this really kind of lame thing that we say at the camp. No way, Moses. Uh, you guys can use that at home. Uh, no way. We can't do it. We can't do it, Moses. And guess what happens? Moses allows the ten that say they can't do it, he allows them to dictate what they decide what they're going to do. Moses allows that. You know, Moses could have said, I like Joshua and Caleb's answer better. Joshua and Caleb expressed faith better. We're going to do what Joshua and Caleb said. I've seen God rescue us from Egypt. We're going to John Moses could have said that. But what does the great hero do? He 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 trusts the ten report and say, We can't do it. They're too big. We're like ants compared to them. And so, long story short, sorry for those of you that really like Moses. I'm sorry about that. But what God allows to happen is, all right, since you guys don't believe that this is possible, I'm going to have to wait for all of you to to die. I'm going to have to wait to get rid of all of you before we go into this land. All of you except Joshua and Caleb. All of you except Joshua and Caleb. And so, at the end of Deuteronomy... Uh, Moses dies. Joshua has been training for this position for 40 years. You know, a lot of us really, 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 really can't wait to get to the top of our position. A lot of us can't wait to be that guy, the pastor, the leader, the director, the the CEO, the the boss. A lot of us really can't wait for this because a lot of preachers and a lot of times we see on TV that people compare us to Moses or Joshua and these great leaders and say, now it's yours, go get it. And what they fail to realize is that Moses wasn't always the Moses we know him to be. Moses was fleeing for his life and he was working as a shepherd, picking up sheep, having to go get sheep that ran astray for years, about 40 years. And then after all these years of being able to deal with sheep and keep up with sheep and lead sheep and, and clean up their mess, God says, now after 40 years of this, I think you're ready to, to lead my people. Joshua sat under Moses for about 40 years, probably longer than that, because they were 40 years in the wilderness. And you got to count the time before they got to the wilderness. And the time. He, he was under Moses before then. He was the commander of the, of the army. But he was this great leader. So a lot of us can't wait to, to get to where we think we deserve to be at. And we want to be like Moses. Well, are you willing to wait 40 years? Are you willing to be at the, the lowest position for 40 years before you get to this position you really want? Or do you think that God owes you something? All right, so we're going through the story, and, and Joshua leads them to Israel to the promised land. It kind of takes the emphasis off of Moses being able to do it. And it shows that Moses couldn't do it. And in fact, it wasn't Joshua that did it either. The person that got them to the promised land was God. It was his land. It was his power. Every battle that they won was because he would fought for them. And the only battle they lost was because he did not fight for them. Chapter 7. And so we get now to the part where they're finally done with all the fighting. And... 
they're much older now. Joshua is much older, so he's not, they're done with fighting. And, and we know that he's much older because he, he and Caleb hung out together. And uh, if you were to read, I think, chapter 14 of Joshua, Caleb is, says, he says his age, I'm 85 now. He's 85 now. And so Mo, Joshua and Caleb and the army aren't going to be the people that to fight the rest of the people out of the land. God himself, Joshua, the book of Joshua says, is going to drive the rest of the people out of the land. He's going to take care of it for them. So now people are getting the land, and Ephraim and Manasseh, the people of Joseph, uh, they're one, for whatever reason, as we uh, see them and we refer to them, they're always considered as one group. They have received their land, and now they're coming back to Joshua. They got a problem. The land isn't big enough. The land is not big enough. Uh, for two reasons, uh, they have not possessed the land that God has promised them. The, the first reason is because most of it is forest. Uh, you get that from 17, verse 15. You guys see that? And then the other part, reason they haven't possessed the rest of the land is because there are some strong Canaanite armies that have iron. They're a little bit advanced now. And uh, you see that in verse 16. They, they possess land. We can't, take, we can't take over these people. They come up with excuses that is not going to suffice for Joshua or God. And so what they are called to do is to cut, conquer, and be courageous. God has already given them the land. Now it's time for them to do something. He's faithful to his promises. He's given them the land. All they got to do is receive it. Let's look at um, this concept that I named the sermon after. God gave it, now take it. Taking what God has given. This is, I've really, when I first studied this, it was amazing that I, I didn't see this. This is a concept that is throughout Joshua. Uh, you know, a lot of people, now, let me be careful because this isn't the name it and claim it concept. This is the God gave it, now take it concept. Not the name it and claim it concept. The name it and claim it concept, most, 98% of the time, God didn't give it. You just lay your hands on something, according to those that believe it, and you pray to receive it, and it's yours. That's not what's going on here. They're not going to the land. People are living. Who is these people? Excuse me, we're just going to pray for this land. Lord, give us this land. Not, that's not what they're doing. God has already given them this land. Donnie McClurkin, I, I love him. He's a very bold guy, especially in the uh, market that he's in. You would think uh, it would be really hard to... Uh, stand for some of the things he stands for, uh, and he's very firm on a lot of his stances. He, he, he talks about the, the prosperity gospel, the name and claim it, and he says, you know, that people get themselves in a pretty sticky situation a lot of times. They, they go to this car lot, and they bring their blessed oil with them, uh, or their anointing oil, and they, they put it on this car, and they, they pray for this car. They go to the dealer, the guy that's, you know, the guy comes out, I've, I've done this several times, the guy come out, hey, can I help you find something? And he says, God told me this car is mine. And the guy says, well, all right, right, since God said it's yours, let's come on in and do the paperwork. And they go in, 
don't got no credit, may not even have a job, and the guy says, this is impossible, I can't sell you this car, right? And, and for some reason, they always quote the King James Version, as Donnie McClurkin said, you know, that, my God told us me that I will receive this sourest car, you know. Uh, and so the guy, Donnie McClurkin, continues to tell the story. He said the guy goes back, and he, he tells you he's been going to talk to his boss for a little while, and he just takes a cigarette break, really. And he comes back, and he says, you know, I don't know how this happened, but we found a way that you can get this car. And the person, of course, said, because God gave it to me. And they do all the paperwork. They just sign it away. Sign this, sign this. Don't read it. Just sign it, right? Just read it. Don't, don't, don't read it. Just sign it. Just sign it, sign it, sign it, sign it, sign it. And they got this brand new car. Oh, man. Name it and claim it. It's yours. Then one morning you wake up and your car is no longer in the parking lot. It's no longer in your driveway. You got your keys on the table, so you didn't move it. And, and, and Donald Clark says that this is that the person comes to the conclusion that Satan has taken Thou's car, or whatever, you know, King James. And he says, no, it was the repoist man that took his Thou's car. So what am I talking about? This, this, isn't, this isn't that scenario where they're just, they're just claiming stuff and saying, I'm going to stand on faith, no rationality, I haven't budgeted my money. The Bible says don't build a house without counting the cost. They, they, they don't do any of that. They just, the Lord gave, no, this is, this is God actually gave it, now take it. Uh, if you would look at Joshua 1.15, Joshua 8.1, Joshua 18.3, and Joshua 22.19, it says, listen to these words, Joshua tells the people to take possession of the land, that Yahweh your God is giving you to possess. Take possession of the land that the Lord is giving you to possess. So he's giving it to them, but what? They're, they still have to do something. Now when we say human responsibility, a lot of people really don't like that. But what we're really talking about is obedience. That's really what we're talking about. That's, that's, that's the major core of the concept, obedience. You know, faith is is Faith is alone. It comes alone. You you are saved by faith alone, but faith never comes alone. So so people are scared of the works part of, of the Christian faith when it's in the Bible. You can't ignore it. it's tension there. Yes, you you are saved by faith alone, but that faith never comes alone. Now you you're going to do something. God said, "I am the Lord your God, who saves you out of Egypt." Because I did this, because I have this relationship with you, because I saved you from Israel, here's the Ten Commandments. He didn't give them the Ten Commandments and say, once you do these Ten Commandments, I will save you from Egypt and I will be your God. No, I am your God and because I'm your God and because I've shown such great mercy and grace to you, obey me. That's really what it is, obedience. And so that's the concept. That's the concept. This land is a good land. Um, throughout Deuteronomy, man, they're constantly, constantly, constantly talking about God is going to give you this land. Now you go take possession of it. Throughout Exodus, God is going to give you this land, take possession of it. I'll give you a few. Exodus 20, 12, uh, Deuteronomy 120, 125, 229, 4, uh, verse 1, and 4, verse 21. In Deuteronomy, the, the concept of God is giving you the land, now take it, is referenced nearly 50 times 
And when I say nearly, I mean it's over 50 times. 50 times. So that's something for us to think about as we continue uh, looking at this. Let's look at verse 14. The people of Joseph said to Joshua, Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Somebody just tell me, let me get another one. Somebody say that. Let me get another one. All right, you guys, you guys, man, I I preached at a black church last Sunday. That was the problem. I I think I can't hear too much expectation. No, uh, let me get another one. Let me get another one. That's what they're saying right here. What we have, the concept, the the core problem here is greed. If you want to do a sermon later on or a a word study or a a concept here, just do a sermon on greed now. I'm giving you guys free sermons to tell the people next week. Greed. Let me get another one. Joshua... What you gave us is not enough. And what, what, what is the problem? To, to the people of Joseph, what's their excuse? We are a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Their, their rationale is God promised Moses, for the most, uh, Abraham for the most part, a lot of people and a lot of land. Because we are a lot of people, God, that must mean God owes us a lot of land. A lot of people use their current status as, well, that means God needs to bless me more, or that, or that means God has blessed me more. Well, God, since I am this, you owe me this. That's not what's going on. That's not, that's not how God operates. They think that something's wrong here. The promises is not adding up. We are a lot of people, but we don't have a lot of land. Of course, that's what they're saying. They're complaining that they don't have a lot of land. If you was to go back to Joshua 14, I love this. I love this comparison. You have the people of Joseph that are a lot of people. We are huge. We got so many people, we can't fit in this land. So give us some more. Compare that to Caleb coming to Joshua. And Caleb saying, I know God has given me some land. Let me go and take it. Do you might remember how old I told you Caleb was? Oh, y'all are listening. 85. 85 years old, and you know he tells Joshua, I'm as young and as strong as I was when I was 40. 85-year-old man here, if you want to preach another sermon, how about perseverance? I'm not giving up. I'm not tired yet. Oh, we used to sing that song in my, ch- in my church all the time. I've been running for Jesus a long time. I'm not tired yet. Uh, one of uh, the mothers on our motherboard used to say, I'm going to wear out, not rust out. She, she said, my age isn't a reason to retire. Somebody's going to use that later on. I want my money when you do it. Uh, Caleb says, I'm 85 and I'm as strong as the day we got here. I'm as strong as when I first fired out Canaan and said we can take it. Now tell me where I can go get my land. And here you compare that to, we, we got a lot of people, Joshua. It's too, we got so many people, we need you to give us some more land. And so that's the problem here. Verse 15, if you are so numerous, Joshua answered, if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for yourself, go up into the forest and clear land for yourself. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Joshua turns their problem into the solution. Oh, you got a lot of people? That's not a problem, Joseph. People of Joseph, 
Use that to your advantage. You know, I've actually, I've actually heard both extremes in almost every concept when it comes to churches. I've been at churches that complain that they have too many people to do ministry. I'm serious. I've also been at churches that say we don't have enough people to do enough ministry, to do a ministry. Like, like there's always going to be some excuse that people are able to come up with. I was with a, uh, a youth pastor, and the reason that he doesn't have youth meetings anymore is because he got too many children. Huh. I was like, man, give me, you know, give me some of those. He got too many children. And, we, and, and some of the children don't like it because it's too many children. But then you have children that say, I don't want to be part of it because it's too small. It's just, it's, you always got an extreme. We got too much money to do this, or we don't have them. Like, our house is too big, or our house is too small. We, I, you got so many excuses. And Joshua's saying, your problem is actually the solution. Your problem is actually the solution. What we need to stop doing is focusing on all the reasons to doubt and focus on the reasons to believe. We like to look at the, the one problem, and we want to focus on the tribulations instead of the triumph. Verse 16. The people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have chariots fitted with iron, both those in Belshan and in the settlements. So now we get to the real problem here. The problem wasn't that there wasn't enough land. If, you, if we're reading this right, it, we got to the real problem. The problem was they didn't feel like cutting down the trees. I'm serious. And, and, and not only that, they did tell Joshua it would have been easier for us to go to the plains. But there's already people there. So in reality, when we when we're first reading this in verse 14, we're like, come on, Joshua. You're going to give them that small piece of land with all those people? And when you keep reading, we find out, no, they got a lot of land. The problem is they're too lazy. They don't want to cut down the trees, and they don't want to drive out the people that God has already defeated over and over and over again throughout the book of Joshua. Here we have Caleb, who knows, I'm 85 I'm probably not going to be able to fight somebody one-on-one, but the reason he's as strong today as he was back then was because he knows God's going to fight the battle for him. And here we have people who are so numerous that that's the problem. We have too many people. Cut down the trees. Man, can't we just go to the plains? But first, we need somebody to go get the Canaanites out of there. All right, I'm going to try this one more time. Say excuses, excuses, excuses. Oh, okay. Good job. They, 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 they did not want to dig deep down inside their, no, their Noah genes. You know, they're, 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 they're from Noah. They didn't want to dig deep down inside and tap into that Noah power and cut down trees. They didn't want to, to reflect on what Joshua and Caleb have been doing for over 40 years. Uh, for 40 years, they didn't want to do that and say, we can take these people because God has fought all of our enemies for us. We've won every battle except for the times that God told us not to uh, do something and we did it anyway. Other than disobedience, we've won. They need to drive out 
the people that God has already defeated for them. They can't do it. Verse 17 and 18, Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, that is Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. He keeps saying the very thing that, that they're using as excuse. He said it to them over and over. You are numerous and powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forest hill country as well. Clear it. And its furthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots made with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Cut, conquer, and be courageous. The, the reason Joshua doesn't really have much pity on them is because he's been here before. That's the reason why. And he knows what God is going to do for them. He prophesies you're going to have more than one allotment. It, it's like David. David's like, man, I've been young. Now I'm old. He was old at the time. And he says, hey, now that I think about it, I've never seen God's people forsaken. Nor his seed begging for bread. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Joshua's listening to them. He's saying, y'all, I'm not, I'm, not getting, I'm not hearing the excuse here. God has already gave it to you. Now take it. Cut down a tree. Conquer the Canaanites. And be courageous. Because God himself is going to fight the battle for you. So what, what do we get from all this? The people eventually get their land. Uh, we have maps and all that stuff. It's pretty cool. And they, the, the people of Joseph get their land. All of Israel gets their land. And we have to now wonder, is that it? Is that the, is that, is that the fulfillment of God's promise? They got their land. And my stance is, and I think it's the right stance, is no, that's not it. That's not it. Like, like the people of God, the, the end goal wasn't to receive that land. If that was the case, we all need to go to Israel right now and say, where's our portion, right? That's not, that's not the end goal. There was something more spiritual that was emphasized or ought to be emphasized when we read this passage or passages like this. Is, this, is it the Christian church? Is that, is that what it is? Wherever we are, that's the land that God promised? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, speaks of Paul, all of us, longing for a house not built by man's hand. Do you guys ever long for that sometimes? Like, this house is nice. The house I got is nice. But every now and then, something happens that's like, it's not perfect. This isn't what my life, the ultimate goal of my life. At any moment, this house can be taken from me, right? I'm looking for a house that's promised to me that's not made by man's hand. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus said, in my father's house is many rooms. Uh, probably a better translation is, in my father's palace are many mansions. Like, like God, he's not going to say, all right, that's your bedroom. Enjoy it. Come out when you're hungry. It, it, it's more of the image of God has mansions waiting on his people. And, you know, a palace, we don't really understand. A palace was a king or a pharaoh's palace is probably the equivalent of the city of Birmingham. 
it's not just one big building when we say palace. We're talking about an entire city, and that's the king's palace. And so when another king came to visit, he got his own house, his own mansion. This is your dwelling place. We're looking for a house not made by man's hands. I love the way that the Hebrew author uh, said it, uh, that Abraham and, and the children of Israel, that, what, what did he say? What did he say? What was the response to reading? I put in the response to reading on purpose. They're looking for a city. They're looking for a land whose foundations, who the designer Who's builder? Yeah. That's 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 if that's how we our mindset ought to be. Hebrews four says that Joshua and the land could not give the people rest. Hmm. So there 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 was another day that God was speaking of that God's promising rest. Like we can enjoy the Sabbath here on earth every now and then, but still, even on that day, do we really get rest? God says the land, the the, the seeking after rest, I got something for you that's going to be even better. Even when you look at the number of people as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea, that's a lot of people for Abraham to, to have come to his line. And so the way that they interpret that is it must be spiritual too. Yes, Abraham has blood children that's through his line and genes, but what do they call Abraham? The father of faith. He's the father, the spiritual father of all those that trust in God. We have seen several times God offering something, God saying something will happen, and the person has to do something about it. Uh, Part of my favorite example when we talk about, when people argue over, is is it sovereignty? Or is it man's responsibility? Which one is it? And the answer for me is both. Uh, Paul was in the shipwreck in Acts chapter 27. And first of all, Paul told him we don't need to go, right? And, and, and the, the storm happened. The, the ship is about to flood. Paul didn't say, I told you so. Paul met them where they was at. And he said, guess what? An angel just came to me and said, we will not die. Does that mean they can all just go to sleep now and not worry about it since God said they're not going to die? No. Paul says... I have faith in God. We, there will be no life loss, but we must go to the shore. We need to get to the shore. We need to throw things overboard, and then we need to get to the shore. See, he didn't say, God says it's going to be okay. Let's not worry about it. Let's not do anything. You see, y'all, we rest in Jesus, but we're not lazy. We still got to do things. See, See, people say, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. For those of you that are tired and heavy laden and burdened down, take my yoke upon you. Well, guess what happens when you take a yoke upon you? It requires work. He said, I'm going to give you rest while you work. See, we, we get down on our knees to pray and cry out to God, but while we're on our knees, we continue to walk. See, that's not, it's, it's just, it's more to it than just that. Christ offers so many things, now take it. He died on the cross for us. He allowed them to nail his hand and his feet. He laid his head in the lock of his shoulder and he died for your sins. He allowed them to pierce him inside. 
He allowed them to lay him in the borrowed tomb. It was borrowed because he was going to give it back. Three days later, he rose up from the grave. He took off his Friday old clothes and put on his new Sunday morning good suit. And he came from the grave and said, I got all power in my hands. I'm offering you salvation. Now believe in me. I'm offering you a new life, an abundant life. Now get rid of your old life. I'm offering you joy and fulfillment and peace. But you have to take off the burdens that you have and the worries and anxieties that you have that are laying you down, that are weighing you down to the ground. Get rid of them and take on mine. I already gave it to you. you're, You're free. Now obey me and follow in my footsteps. He does stuff with people and he said, now sin no more. He didn't say, all right, you're good to go. Just keep doing what you're doing. I love you. You're, you're predestined. You're elected from the foundation of the earth. Do whatever you want. I'm a, whoever I want to save, I'm going to save. Paul says this, man, and then I'm going to sit down. Paul says, we don't know who it is that God has predestined to save, so we got to go out there and preach the gospel. You see, when you put it all on God, it, it, you end up not doing anything. God's going to save whoever he's going to save. I'm going back to sleep. No, we don't know who it is God has already predestined to save, so let's go out there and preach the gospel to him. Do y'all see that? God gave it, now we must take it. Father, we thank you and we love you. Be with us now. You offer us an eternity in your presence. Give us the faith to take it. Amen.